Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of the show. Today, it's just me and Brooks Childress here on the Friday edition of the show, but we still have plenty to talk about this afternoon. Of course, as always, we'll have birthdays and sports nightly TV guide. We'll have a what to watch for over the weekend, but a lot of our conversation today will be dominated by the ever-changing paradigm of college football and college athletics. We'll give you the latest on who's in what conference and how everything is trending in conference realignment as it has been a teeter-totter today in the last really 18 hours or so between the Pac-12, its members, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. So we will continue to have a lot more realignment conversation. We'll have a sports call 5 at 5. That will be centered around the University of Florida, as today we will preview Florida's 2023 football season outlook. Of course, we're in the middle of doing 14 schools in 13 days. On Wednesday, we did Missouri and Vanderbilt. That was the only two-school day. Yesterday, we did Mississippi State. Today, we will do Florida. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And, of course, we'll update you on fall practice as there are updates to be made available. Uh, We were going to get to go ourselves this morning. There was supposed to be a 9.55 a.m. viewing window, but there was uh, some rain activity out there, so practice was moved. Therefore, the media viewing window was moved to right now and of course we have our responsibilities here on the radio so we will uh, update you with what some of the beat writers have to say uh, from practice viewing window which of course again is going on right now and we'll also update you on a very important figure that showed up to practice today uh, out or kind of involved in the Auburn football landscape really the Auburn athletics landscape so tell you a little bit about that in just a moment too Again, Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the show. Brooks, we've had a full but busy day, uh, various tasks for sure, in and out of the office, but good to see you, sir. We're almost to the weekend. Yeah, slowly but surely getting into that that weekend mode. Um, We're just a couple hours away. Some people out there may be already off for the weekend. Congratulations, you're one of the lucky few. Uh, but we're, we'll take you all the way through to to your weekend tonight. Uh, once you get off of work, six o'clock will be on the air till. And uh, yeah, it's it's been an eventful day. Uh, not not much in the Auburn headlines sphere. Uh, I know media uh, group got to talk to a few players this afternoon. Got a little t- round table with some of the players this afternoon. Uh, I don't believe anything you know substantial came from that, but uh, it is you know good to get to talk to some of the players as they start fall camp and then of course uh the rest of this college football world has lost its collective minds especially out west uh there's people are maybe staying they were not you know we're definitely out no maybe we're not 
yes we are no we're not moving around it, it who knows we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later Braves are in action they got three afternoon games against the Cubs here this weekend got, got things started off uh, just a couple hours ago about a little after one o'clock and uh, it was looking like a big pitching duel to start with and the fourth inning happened and it no longer became a pitching duel and became just one pitcher dealing and the other one getting uh, the other pitching staff getting shelled a little bit and so we'll talk about a little bit of the Braves preview their weekend in Chicago as they have the Cubs and then early next week they go out they're still in the central they play the Pirates to start next week uh, and yeah, I can't wait to talk about some Florida football. It's a program that's got a lot of questions around it, and uh, it's much like Mississippi State yesterday. They, there's a wide range of results that they could ha- land on this year. We'll, we'll talk about that. But of course, can't wait to get to all of our phone calls with all of our lovely, lovely callers because that's what drives the show. Absolutely, and uh, I also left out one more thing we need to do today, and that's Sports Calls Player of the Week, which your boy. Clearly forgot in the show details tweet uh, that's always sent out before the show. So that will be in the 4 o'clock hour as well. We'll finally reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. So full show today. Uh, we will start off with one bit of Auburn news, and then we will get to conference uh, realignment plenty. Don't worry about that. Uh, but the one note from Auburn Fall Camp today so far, as they are practicing as we speak, uh, is a notable guest that was... Uh, in attendance or is in attendance for practice and came by the facility a little bit earlier today. And that's someone that I think a lot of people around Auburn are going to dread to hear the name of. Under Armour CEO Kevin Plank was in the building today. Of course, Under Armour, if you were reading other news that is college sports related but not conference related, Notre Dame inked a very large deal, I believe $10 million a deal, uh, $10 million a year, something like that, something like that. Uh, to retain Under Armour as their apparel brand. Uh, moving forward, a multi-year contract. Of course, Auburn's contract runs out, I believe, in two years. I think 2025 is the uh, – or 2024-25 season is the last season. So the fall of 2025 is when uh, a new contract would kick in. So uh, the negotiating window will open pretty soon. And I assume with the arrival of Kevin Plank, I'm going to put two and two together and say that Under Armour is making Auburn a priority in terms of trying to renegotiate, re-sign there. We mentioned it a little bit earlier this week, and I'm sure these talks will only uh, heighten the longer we get into not only this year but next year, assuming there is no deal. A lot of people wanting to move to a different apparel brand. Uh, There obviously is the ability with Nike, with Jordan brand becoming a player now. Again, that is not just a Nike deal. That is a kind of a separate uh, entity there with Jordan brand. There's also Under Armour, obviously, which Auburn's still part of. There's Adidas. Uh, There's New Balance, uh, believe that or not. Boston College, I don't know if any other notables Brooks was going through some of them. Literally just Boston College. Just Boston College, the lone holdout there. Um, So there are different options, but... Uh, Brooks, do you make anything of Kevin Plank being here today? Slash, I mean, just what do you, what have you thought about this whole apparel process? Um, well, I, you know, it, I may be wrong, but I don't remember ever seeing even, uh, well, at least in my memory, I can't remember seeing photos of him showing up at Auburn. Just you know, it, but also it could have been a day that the media was not there. He walked into the media session uh, in the media group there, uh, and so it was a. It, I, I think it means that they are looking that with signing the new deal with Notre Dame, 
uh, very recently. I think that this probably signals that they want to keep Auburn and they want to do all that they can to uh, make their presence known to to Auburn and say, hey, we're we're here. You know, we want to do everything we can to keep your quote, keep your business. And so I think that the, him showing up is not just a, oh, hey, you know, you're one of our clients. I'm just going to stop in and say hi. Now, I, I think there's a reason behind it. You signed that big Under Armour deal. I know a couple of years ago, you know, you had a, a pretty big brand with UCLA Athletics and they left and they went to Jordan Brand. Um, so you've had a couple big, uh, big time Under Armour uh, affiliates move on. And so getting that Notre Dame uh, ink down for, for a while is really big for, for Under Armour. I think they're looking to do to, to do Auburn. I think they're safe with Maryland because it's right there in their backyard. They're from Baltimore, Maryland's in College Park. Um, and so there's there's a couple other big schools uh, that, that have Under Armour that they're I'm sure they're going to try to nail down here. But yeah, I, I think this is very much a, a move where he's the CEO showing up, not just to say hi. He, he's he's down to make his you know like hey we're here we we're still a major player in this and we don't want to lose you. I thought the negotiation window uh, was supposed to start in September. I could be wrong about that, um, but that negotiation windows do open up a you know a good bit ahead of time. And uh, depending on what contract you sign, what what uh, space of the sports economy we're talking about, but the negotiations will begin soon. Now, usually there's a window of exclusivity, and then a window of open to all. So again, we'll figure out the timelines there when when it comes up here pretty soon. Uh, but again, I think that the feeling is that a lot of people around here would love to see Nike or Jordan. I personally would probably prefer that i am not as against under armor as the the average auburn fan is uh that is due to my linkage of my favorite professional athlete being the kind of face of under armor and steph curry i'll just go ahead and tell you right now that's why that is uh i'm also have plenty of under armor apparel and i've i like it just fine but again i don't consider myself a sneaker head or some fashion guru or anything like that so Again, I'm not going to say that I have some well-versed opinion in this market space, but it's just I'm not as spiteful or uh, dislike Under Armour as much. Now, some people would argue that it could be a negative recruiting tool. However, if Hugh Freeze ends up getting like a top five or six class this year, keeps going the way they're going, that, that argument's going to have less fuel to that. Auburn basketball under Bruce Pearl has landed the highest rated recruits it ever has in program history. So I think there's evidence there to suggest that if it is a liability, it is a limited liability issue, and it is something that uh, these programs have figured out how to get over or overcome, or maybe it's just not a big deal uh, that much at all. I mean, I, you know, a, a shoe deal is a shoe deal, an endorsement deal is an endorsement deal. And again, a lot of these kids are only wanting to do it for a year, two years. And I, again, I don't think that that is long term affecting value one way or the other. Uh, so, again, it would be one thing if we got clear, convincing evidence. I sound like a replay review. <laughs> I got to have clear, con- uh, you know, conclusive evidence to overturn the call on the field. Uh, unless there's clear evidence that it is really detrimental in the recruiting world. Again, I'm not going to have a strong opinion of it one way or the other. I will say that I, my preference ranking, again, with Nike and Jordan being slightly above Under Armour than Under Armour, I will tell you, do, does start to take a hit after Under Armour. 
I'm not really interested in being like Boston College having New Balance. Adidas, I have always associated with soccer. That's not something I associate with Auburn University, <laughs> soccer, although Auburn women's soccer is pl- plenty go, good. Let's just go off the rails and be the first Puma school. <laughs> Again, Puma, I think I have a Puma shirt. Uh, I think it's a golf shirt. It's fine. Ricky Fowler. Anybody, but uh, again, not for an incomplete brand of apparel for the entire athletics department. So that is something interesting in making the rounds that Kevin Plank, the CEO of Under Armour, is in Auburn today visiting the Tigers on the heels of inking a long-term lucrative agreement with Notre Dame. We're going to take our first time out of the show. We'll get to birthdays and sports in just a little bit, and also we're going to get to that conference realignment talk. There is a lot of talk to be had. We'll get to that coming up in a few minutes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the show. Opened up to be a kind of a dreary day early this morning, and uh, that moved practice in the media viewing window to this afternoon, and now it is uh, quite lovely out there, and uh, I think they made the right decision. Of course, that did affect us because we were not able to attend, but we'll update you on uh, if any of our friends like Justin Ferguson, Nathan King, those type of guys on the Auburn beat have uh, important updates from us from practice and fall practice getting going with number number two today for the Auburn Tigers. Before we go any further in today's show, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays and sports today. We start off with the Rocket Roger Clemens, who turned 61 today, former MLB pitcher, played for the Boston Red Sox, Toronto Blue Jays, New York Yankees, and Houston Astros. 11-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, seven-time Cy Young Award winner, 1986 American League MVP, two-time Triple Crown Award winner, four-time MLB wins leader, seven-time ERA leader, five-time AL strikeout leader, MLB record 20 strikeouts in a nine-inning game, member of MLB All-Century team, member of the Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame. What a storied career for Roger Clemens. We just caught the tail end of it when he was in Houston in the early 2000s, uh, but one of the most electric pitchers of all time, not in the Hall of Fame because of things going into his body that were not permissible, 
But uh, also, Brooks, how do you feel about a player that played for four teams, three of them in the same division? He liked the East. <laughs> he liked the American League East. And the Yankees, one of those famous Red Sox-Yankee crossovers. Yeah. I mean, it, not a lot of those either. There, I mean, it, it gets more and more common nowadays with uh, baseball players just moving around a lot more. But it you know, used to not be so as, uh, as common. Um, he was also a Texas Longhorn. Just, you know, okay, hook him. Hook him. Uh, but yeah, love the AL East. Loved uh, loved pitching there. Certainly did. Maybe it's just he liked pitching in Yankee Stadium and Fenway. Maybe those were the two. I think I would like playing in both those ballparks. I mean, True. wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, we were having a conversation about that earlier today, which where we, we would attend a game and that sort of thing. So uh, full circle right there. Roger Clemens is sixty-one. Clyde Simmons is 59, former NFL defensive end, selected in the ninth round of the 1986 NFL draft by the Philadelphia Eagles out of Western Carolina. Let's go cat him out. Also playing for the Arizona Cardinals, Jacksonville Jaguars, Cincinnati Bengals, and Chicago Bears. Two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time Pro Bowler, 1995 NFL forced fumbles co-leader, 1992 sacks leader, member of the Philadelphia Eagles 75th anniversary team, member of the Philadelphia Eagles and Western Carolina Athletics Hall of Fame. Clyde Simmons turns 59 today. And Bob Baumhauer turns 68, former NFL defensive tackle for the Miami Dolphins, selected 40th overall by the Dolphins out of Alabama. Eh. Two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, 1977 Pro Football Writers Association All-Rookie Team, Member of the Miami Dolphins honor roll at Alabama, Baumhauer was two-time first-team All-SEC. And, of course, I became even more familiar with Bob Baumhauer and his chicken wings <laughs> at various Baumhauer wings restaurants, including the one that I grew up uh, or, or lived in a house about five minutes away from one in Birmingham. Uh, so definitely frequently that one. And, of course, we know Baumhauer's Victory Grill here in Auburn frequently with Tiger Talk and great events over there. Bob Baumhauer turns 68 today. So Roger Clemens, 61. Clyde Simmons, 59. Bob Baumhauer, 68. Those are the birthdays in sports today on this Friday, August the 4th. Bob Baumhauer used to do, and I don't, he may still do it, a week a Monday radio show down in Mobile. He was him, and I gosh, I don't remember the other. There was three guys on it. Um, but I, I, and they always did it at Baumhauer's down there in, in, uh, Daphne Mondays at noon during the football season. And it was just all, all college football talk for an hour. And it was, it was, I used to listen to it all the time. It was a good show down there. I, I imagine so. Not as good as us though. Well, absolutely not. And now we move on to important topics. Uh, and like wings. Why? <laughs> Well, those are important topics. Maybe not the importance of on this show, but certainly for us uh, as uh, wing eaters and as guys that like food. But uh, let's move on to, uh, you know what, before we get into the conference realignment, because we will get into that in just a moment, do want to word in on the, on the Braves today, make sure we get that in. And, of course, we will have a player of the week word a little bit later. Again, wink, wink, hint, hint to that. I've been doing that recently a lot. But also, to be fair, the Braves have been playing great baseball. Of course, you can listen to the last inning on our sister station, 1230 WAUD. But I think you're going to already know the result. Braves lead 8 nothing going to the bottom of the ninth and Max Fried's return, which was excellent. And Brooks, a hot Cubs team to go play in Wrigley, 
no one had reached base for the fourth inning, and then the Braves scored seven times, and what was looking like a competitive low-scoring game through the first third became a runaway in the fourth. Yeah, the Braves' bats really opened it up there in that fourth inning, and uh, it, it got started. You finally got a, a guy on, and shocker, it was Acuna, um, and then you had Ozzy Albies hit uh, a, a double, and if Acuna, I, I think Acuna paused to see if it was going to be caught or if it was going to go out because it was pretty high and deep to, to that right center field uh, and bounced up against the ivy out there but it was a double that got Acuna to third and then um, got you know they just started that that's what got the rally going it's just a couple at bats can get those rallies going Matt Olson hit a home run in that inning uh, Marcelo Zuna sent one to uh, the south side of Chicago in that inning and, yeah, Acuna tripled, I think. They came around the bat, didn't they? And he tripled in that same inning, too, didn't he? Um, and, he did. And that scored Michael Harris. And so, yeah, it, it was the, – the floodgates really opened there in that fourth inning. And, uh, yeah, Max Freed, also uh, stellar in his return today. He went, what, six innings, seven innings? Six innings. Struck out eight. Hits, yeah. Um, didn't give up a run. So, big, big return. And, you know, you – you thought about it, you know, when uh, earlier this week you had the trade deadline and the Braves didn't make a move for starting pitching. And I know some people were like, well, what are you, what are you doing? And, and there were some questions there. But then, you know, you looked at it, you could get freed or you were on schedule to get freed back, uh, looking like you were going to get Cal right back before the end of the season. And with that outing, with Max Reed, granted, one outing back. You can't, you know, judge everything, but Stellar in his first time back uh, from off the injured list, and so when when you see that kind of start, and then you uh, you start to realize why no moves were made for starting pitching at the deadline. There seems to be a mental toughness with Max Freed that you can put him in big games. He will usually perform well. If he doesn't, he will bounce back. He gets injured. He doesn't miss a beat. He missed a lot of time this year. I think mm. it was – we were talking earlier. I think early May, something around there was the last time Freed pinched. This was, and he got hurt on opening day too. Right, and so he'd only made about five or six starts this year. That's not a lot and not much to work off of. So he misses more than two months, almost three months. And he comes back and he fires and pitches as well as you could today. I, we talked; it was only like seventy-one or two pitches in six innings. If it was, if he was fully healthy, he was going to be potentially out there even for all nine innings. So he is just struck me as somebody that has that ace mentality. Even though we get fired up sometimes about the gaudy strikeout numbers of Spencer Strider or the really quality surprise season for Bryce Elder. The the true ace of this staff continues to be Max Freed, and it's still shown in outings like today. Again, the Cubs have been one of the hottest teams in baseball. They just got back to 500, but they were 13-3 and in their last 16 games. And this series is important to me from the standpoint of I believe the Braves are the best team in baseball, but the best team in baseball does not always win the World Series nor even go to it. Usually the hottest team in baseball, or one of the hottest teams in baseball, has a magical October, gets the World Series, and or wins it. And even that was shown with this franchise two years ago. The Braves only won 88, 89 games for the season. That was not the best team in the big leagues. They didn't even have a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr., yet that was the first Braves title since the mid-'90s. And so I think what we're what I'm talking about is this series won't tell me everything because it's still August and it's not going to 
do any good for the month of October. But this is the type of team that would scare me in October because I believe pound for pound the Braves are better than the Brewers, better than the Reds, better than the Cubs, better than the Phillies, better than the Dodgers, better than the Diamondbacks. I think they're the best team, again, in the National League and in baseball. However, can a hot team overcome that? Well, the Cubs are the type of hot team you would play in the wild card or divisional series. Again, winning 13 of 16. Someone like the Padres might end up doing that down the stretch in the last 50 games. So if the Braves can walk into Wrigley, win this series, and they're going to win game one here, despite how hot the Cubs have been just sweeping the rival Reds to get back in that division race, that tells me that just simply because you're hot, the Braves are a completely different kind of animal. So this is an important series to me. Again, it won't, even if the Braves sweep it or win two of three, I'm not going to come out of it saying, yep lock in the World Series because that's just simply not how baseball works. But it does confirm to me that the Braves should have great confidence against whoever they end up playing uh, in the big league play, in the major league playoffs. And uh, again, there's going to be options for these teams. There's six teams now a league that make it. So a team like the Cubs that ended up not selling at the deadline, not giving up on someone like Cody Bellinger, who's at 300 this year and that sort of thing that, Shows you someone's going to get hot. Someone will be coming in, riding a win streak into the Major League Baseball playoffs. But again, if the Braves can win this series, as they have now officially taken game one against the Cubs, they can win this series. They show me that even that might not phase them come October. We're going to take our second timeout of the show. When we come back, we're getting into it. College football conference realignment. That is next. Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Friday afternoon, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here. And it's now time to dive into the story dominating college athletics. We will definitely spend a good amount of time on this once again today, as we've done several days on the show this week, really several days on the show uh, this last couple of months. I just don't know how many jokes I have left in me after this at this point. <laughs> They'll be like Vince Carter. You got one more <laughs> in you. You got one more in you. You know, this thing has, again, dominated so many discussions, not only that we've had, but in the country. We kind of got onto this. This interested me a little bit earlier than it did maybe some of the national folks because I just could not get over how poorly mismanaged this was by George Klavikov of the Pac-12. And again, I have never said, nor will I ever say, a commissioner's name more 
in the last week of the shows than I have George Klavikov. I don't think anybody – listen, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and fairly confidently say this, and I, I have not listened – You know, granted, I've been only been alive for 28 years, but I have not listened to all 28 years of Sports Call Auburn. Right. But I can confidently say, besides the name of the, of the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, I don't think any – commissioner's no. name has been uttered this many times not even rob manfred has made it this many times into the program not not uncle raj uh from the shield or uh the angel of stern before it was adam <laughs> silver in the nba yeah no it's uh it's been a lot of mentions but it's was so clear to me even months ago that the process here was wrong and you have to operate in your correct space. The SEC, as we've talked about, has not wanted to lead the way on expansion. Greg Sankey's made that clear multiple times. The reason it does not have to do that or be as reactionary is because it's already in first or second place, depending on your metric of winning, which is clearly its first, or money given to its teams in the future contract of which that's where the Big Ten teams will get a little bit more money per team than the SEC due to the nature of their media rights agreements. But the clear-cut frontrunner there, and again, especially in terms of success, the SEC, doesn't need to create more value for the conference, which is why Florida State has a conundrum, and we'll hit back on that side of expansion later on today. But right now, we focus on the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 does not operate in the same space that the Southeastern Conference and the Big Ten do. And that is painfully clear to us and to you, the listener. Like, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir right now. But what this was not clear to is the commissioner of the Pac-12 Conference, which is why we're here today. The Pac-12 felt it was a big boy. It was too big to fail. It was the Titanic. It was not sinkable. It was incredibly important, all the things. And yet, it in reality, was on a level with the Big 12. The Big 12 lost its two bell cows, Oklahoma and Texas. Yes, people joke, well, Texas hadn't been adding much uh, in the win column recently. And, oh, Oklahoma... Never won a college football playoff title in these last nine or ten years. Great. You are correct. That does not mean that the needle is not moved by them. So they leaving that conference was a big blow. An equally big blow was out west when USC and UCLA left. So how did the two conferences respond? Well, we've talked about this, but I'll mention it again because we always need to keep the reference point here. Both these conferences were in the same position. They lost their two biggest programs. The Big 12 immediately, immediately knocked on the door of the top AAC teams in the forms of Cincinnati, the first ever group of five to make a college football playoff, in the form of UCF, who claims a national championship. That's not going on the official record, by the way, but... but uh, <laughs> They good enough to have a season in which they could claim it. Now, we still laugh at that, but again, a really good season. And Houston, who has been in big conferences before and continues to be 
and has been one of the premier group of fives and obviously is in a big football location. On top of that, they added BYU, who had been floating back and forth between Mountain West and Independent and all of that. And BYU, again, of all the programs in the group of five, felt as storied, if not the most storied, of any of them. And that was a really solid move. Did it mean the Big 12 had better uh, a better field than with Oklahoma and Texas in it? No, didn't mean that. But it meant that they made up that value gap in a big way. It was not a huge chasm any longer, adding four for two. What did the Pac-12 do? Oh, we're still we're still the conference of champions. We are good at Olympic sports. We're good at water polo. Look at us play volleyball from time to time. We've won so many rowing titles. Right. Bill Walton is high on the TV all the time. That's that's good for the brand. Well, it turns out that there's more to it than that. And as they sat twiddling their thumbs waiting for TV money, which has ultimately not come, other schools got antsy. And this is the point in the soliloquy, as I can't say that, and the speech. I'll say words that I can say. This is the point in the speech where I say that this is still all disappointing. It's disappointing to see rivalries crushed. I've spent also parts of the summer talking about a nine-game schedule in the SEC because I want as few of rivalries touched as we can. We've already touched many of them, Auburn's included. I would like to salvage what we can. So the rivalry part is sad. The fans that now will not be able to go to any road games ever is sad. It's sad to have conferences that are named after a concept, whether geographical or numerical, and yet they have nothing to do with those concepts any longer. And it's sad to know that it turned out that not just that money was the most important thing, it turned out to be the only thing for these schools. That all is sad. However, we have arrived at this day, and if you have not heard the news and you've wondered why for the last five minutes I have not shut up or gotten to the point, well, here is the point. Here is the news today. And that is that Oregon and Washington are very close to being on their way to the Big Ten. According to which report you read, they are already on their way to the Big Ten. Uh, they have a board of trustees meeting, which Brooks just found is just now popping yep. up. Emergency meeting on August the 4th for the University of Oregon Board of Trustees. Emergency indeed. But according to Brett McMurphy of the Action Network a couple of hours ago, Oregon and Washington are on their way to the Big Ten. The remaining two best institutions... In the Pac-12, at least football-wise, potential-wise, are off to the Big Ten. Last night, we saw that Arizona made more official their motion to join the Big 12. The Big 12 has accepted them. It is up to Arizona to have their final vote, and once they vote, it will be a formality. They will be going to the Big 12. That was after a Board of Regents meeting last night. So, where we are at, we are at the departures of USC, UCLA, and now reported Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten, and we are at a place where Colorado and the report of Arizona on their way to the Big 12. 
there was also another report this afternoon that I showed you of two other teams that were potentially. Right, and I'm getting to that. Ah. I'm, I'm going down the pecking order. Again, this is a long spiel. That's why <laughs> I was a double segment here. So that's where we're at in terms of likely maneuvers, in terms of essentially agreed upon by at least one of the two parties. Six of the 12 Pac-12 schools gone. So that also leads you to the other two schools that Brooks just referred to, and that is in the forms of Arizona State and Utah. We mentioned yesterday that Arizona and Arizona State have the same board. It was kind of funny. I was looking for it when I looked online last night to see the little squares on the Zoom meeting and see who had (laughs) Arizona memorabilia or attire and who had Arizona State Sun Devil attire. And it, uh, I noticed certainly both. The idea is to not split those schools up. Now, I think there's a hesitancy there. We will get to that in a moment. But the belief is those two, two schools want to maintain their rivalry. Good for them. However, at this point, Arizona is leaving the Pac-12. Arizona State is not yet. But Arizona State and Utah are the two schools that if the Big 12 goes too further into expansion, those would be the two targets, Arizona State and Utah. That would leave the Pac-12 at four. It's really sad when it does not take long to name a conference or to say that you could play a max of three conference games with that conference. But congratulations to Cal, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State as being the remaining survivors of the Pac-12 conference. Remaining holdouts. Survivors is too generous of a term for this, uh, or not just not the appropriate term, but the remaining holdouts. I mean, two of those schools are just academic weapons. <laughs> right. And so here we are. That's the lay of the land, that we're down to six Pac-12 schools, essentially. And any hour now could be down to four if Arizona State and Utah break for the Big 12. Brooks, we ha- we talked about this this morning. I will now yield my time, yield the floor. <laughs> we talked about it this morning. Though, from about 10 p.m. last night to 10 or 11 a.m. this morning was a roller coaster. There was momentum for the Pac-12 for the first time in a long time, but it only lasted a few hours. And now we are here. What are your thoughts on these large conferences that we are building and honestly potentially hours away from either the end of the Pac-12 or a merging of the Pac-12, but certainly of the the death of a Power 5 conference? Um, George is about to be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Uh <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it was. It's it's just crazy how you. We went into yesterday at the end of yesterday's show. Arizona had set a meeting. Washington had set a meeting for late night, uh, for for the you know to to see what was going to happen. By this morning, things had turned, and it was like, oh nope, the Pac-12 is is going to be. We're going to be fine. We're about to. We're all getting together. We're going to sign this deal. This is going to be great. We're actually looking at expanding. They they said we're looking at you know a couple of these schools over here and a couple of these schools over here, and then within the matter of you know we went to lunch, 
and everything fell fell apart again. And it's just like, no, Oregon and Washington, we peace out. Arizona's like, yeah, we're actually are going to leave. And, you know, they actually already accepted us. Arizona State and Utah are like, well, this, you know, this party is getting kind of lame. We might as well duck out of here early, too. Uh, and then you're left with the in the corner. You've got Stanford and Cal comparing, uh, uh, you know, chemical elements or something. And then Oregon State and Washington State are the two, I guess, cool kids that are left there. Like, what what happened to this? Um, it's it's weird. I know we talked about uh, off the air. You know, conference expansion, conference realignment has been a thing forever. It, it's not like it's this new concept. Um, you know, you've seen the the death of the Big East football-wise uh, in the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, in the 90s, you saw the death of the Southeast or the Southwestern Conference. Um, you've seen teams come, teams go from conferences. Um it's just it's amazing and you know you always it's you always think about and it you know take it from the NFL standpoint you come you know like I me and you Ryan we came into the NFL there were teams and you know nobody moved really there was no movement uh not up until really the the Rams moved right everybody kind of I think most of our lives you had a few teams added you had the Jags added you had the Panthers added um you had the Texans added uh, but there really was not a, a a lot of team movement. But, you know, in the past, you'd heard about teams moving. Obviously, the Oilers moved to Tennessee. Uh, you had the Cardinals move from St. Louis to Arizona, and St. Louis got a new team. You've seen teams move around. Um, the Colts moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis. And you just heard about it, and it never never actually happened. And then the Rams are like, yeah, you know what? We want to go to L.A. We want to go back to L.A. I'm like, what? No, you can't do that. No, we're going to do it. We're going to build this big stadium. We're going to take the Chargers with us, too. We're going to have 36 Taylor Swift concerts yeah. there. Yeah. It, it's going to be great. We'll host a national championship that nobody will watch because Georgia will just throttle the other team that's there. It'll be great. And then, you know, a few years later, Las Vegas is like, or Oakland is like, you know what? We want to move to Vegas. And you're like, what? Yes, I, as well. I don't think you could do it. No, we're going to do it. And now baseball, it's been basically the same way. You've had a few teams added, uh, not as recently uh, as NFL teams, but everybody's kind of stayed the same. And then all of a sudden, the A's are like, you know what? We're moving to Vegas. You're like, what? No, I, I don't think you can do that. Yeah, we're just going to move to Vegas. NBA or NHL was expanded. They they didn't well. They moved the Thrashers from Atlanta to Canada, but don't get me started on that. Uh, and then they expanded. They just created a couple new teams. They created Vegas. They created Seattle. And it's it sports. What I'm getting at here, sports is ever changing, ever growing, and it, it's you know conferences move around. But this is insane. This was there was a the you had the concept of the Power Five, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. They were like the big boys. You're like, oh, you don't mess with them. Well, they got messed, one of them got messed with, and it wasn't really by anybody. It was Texas and Oklahoma said, hey, we want to go earn some more money. And then everybody started freaking out. The Big Ten's like, we want USC and UCLA. And like, all right. And then the Big 12 loss is like, well, you know what? Like you said, we're going to go pick up some of these smaller teams, but they're still going to be good. Cincinnati, UCF, all these these smaller teams, we're going to add add some here. They're, we're good. And then the Pac-12 is just like, well, I think we're fine. And then 
you just start seeing teams saying, no, I don't think it is. Well, here's Apple TV. No, that's not going to work for us. It may work for Messi, but it's not going to work for, for us. We see what they're making over here. The biggest thing, the big one of my biggest takeaways is in all of this, you've seen the, the Big Ten be aggressive and go get people. You've seen the Big 12 lose some teams and then go get some more. You've seen the Pac-12 bleed and is laying on the ground. Nobody's helping them. The medic's not coming. Um, he, they're, they're gone. Now you're starting to have the little rumblings of ACC teams, i.e. Florida State, say, you know what? We may not be happy. The one thing that you've seen, and I, it, you know, we, we've talked about it. Greg Sankey's talked about it. Nobody in the SEC has said, I'm not good with this. I would like to, to explore. I would like more money or I would like to explore. Everybody. Vanderbilt, well, I, I say Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's good with anything. Um, it, it's none of the middle schools, like a, like, like a Mississippi school or a Kentucky or South Carolina, are, have come out and said, hey, we're not happy. The SEC has stayed together. Nobody has r- tried to ruffle any feathers. Nobody's tried to, you know, say Texas and Oklahoma are coming in. The only one that pitched a fit really was Texas A&M because they got away from Texas to start with. But then, you know, you're, they're like, they, you show them the money and they're like, you know what? We're good. But it, it's just, it shows you the strength of the SEC that all these other conferences are either reaching and grabbing or are losing people and then having to try to pick, pick themselves up or dying. And the SEC is like, we're fine. If you want to come talk to us, we'll talk to you, but we're not, you know, we're, we're good. Everybody else here is cool. We're cool, right, guys? Everybody's in unison. It, it's, it's amazing with the landscape college football. Again, and that's the difference in $20, $30 million a year. That's what it will do for everyone. That's what Florida State wants to be a part of. We will get to their side of it here in, coming up in hour number two, uh, and we might have another thought or two on the Pac-12. Again, the big news that after some sort of – Potential rebirth looks like death for the Pac-12. Washington and Oregon presumably on the way to the Big Ten and presumably Arizona to the Big 12, leaving six. And Arizona State, Utah might not be far behind on their way into the Big 12. We are out of time for hour number one. Again, more realignment talk in hour number two. We will reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week and Got a hit on some Auburn basketball schedule news. All that and more coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. 
Second hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the show. A lot still to get into. Again, the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. That will help us transition into our preview of Florida football in 2023 as we go through the 14 SEC schools in 13 days. Also coming up in just a little bit, we will get to the uh, Sports Call Player of the Week as we uh, continue to reveal that late in the process, but uh, we will get to that here coming up shortly. And uh, we will have more on the conference realignment coming up in just a little bit, but we want to get into some more Auburn news here to start the uh, 4 o'clock hour, and that includes Auburn basketball scheduling news. They had... I believe a tournament gets scheduled today uh, for this year, or at least the opponents uh, all all listed out. But then also a newsworthy note is that Holiday Hoops Giving has been scheduled. Of course, Auburn played Memphis in that last year in Atlanta. We'll be back in Atlanta December the 9th, Saturday, December 9th. Auburn will play Indiana in Holiday Hoops Giving in Atlanta. So that's a pretty... Big brand opponent, Indiana, did go to the NCAA tournament last year. Of course, Indiana success rate, not as good recently, but, of course, one of the more most storied basketball programs out there. So pretty exciting matchup for Holiday Hoops giving. Yeah, so if you're keeping track at home, uh, Auburn has uh, some premier, some big names, big-time big uh, stuff going on in the non-conference this year. Obviously, you know the conference slate. You're going to play everybody twice, depending, or you're going to play everybody at least once, depending on where you play them. Um, you got Baylor in that neutral site game up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, to open up the season on November 7th. You're going to have Virginia Tech inside Auburn Arena for the ACC big or the ACC SEC Challenge. Uh, you've got the the they're going back to the Legends Classic up in Brooklyn. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's going to be a part of that. Uh, I'd have to double check that. Was that all, was that was also announced today? Is that what that was? Or no, maybe? Uh, the, the other thing that was announced today was Auburn baseball. Oh, Auburn baseball. That's um, right. You told me about that. Gotcha. But so the, they're going to be uh, yeah the Legends Classic. It's going to be Auburn, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and St. Bonaventure. So those are okay. some big basketball brands uh, up in up in Brooklyn. A couple years ago, Auburn was up there and they played. They know they played Richmond. Uh, and so it was one of the games, and they, there was a couple games up there. So they're not guaranteed to play everybody, but you're going to get matched up with one of them, and you'll you know either win or lose, and you'll play the other one of the other schools. And then of course this one, this big Indiana. So you, you know you saw last year Auburn's been to the hoops giving for a few years in a row now, and they played Memphis last year. That was their was that their first loss of the season last year. I do not recall off the top of my head. Um, I will double check. But it was you know it was a it was a game that. Uh, Really, it was one of the bigger first big opponents that the Tigers played uh, for, and, and it was the hoops giving. And so it, it's just it's been an event that Bruce Pearl has always puts on their calendar because it's it's a way for, to get Auburn basketball to play in the city of Atlanta. You know, the, Auburn has done a lot of big recruiting things uh, in the city of Atlanta. They, they, Bruce Pearl is, uh, has a pipeline that comes from uh, the Atlanta Georgia area, and so now you get Auburn and you get a big name like Indiana playing each other there. Uh, two big basketball brands uh, around the city of Atlanta. And so it, it's it, it once again continues to be a, a, an event that Auburn likes to go to every single year. That was the first loss for Auburn last year. They did lose to Southern Cal a couple weeks later in California. Of course, 
USC will be uh, Big Ten. I mean, not quite Big Ten yet, one more year, but uh, soon to be Big Ten program USC will be coming to Neville Arena That's this true. year. That's true. That's another big one with Bronny James. As you can hear, Auburn will have a pretty robust. robust yeah, yeah there that. you go. Uh, pretty robust schedule this year. That yes, they have tried to tout in some years playing top competition from the smaller conferences, the teams that are either picked to win the conference, the smaller conferences, or won it last year. But still, nothing's like playing other teams that are clearly NCAA tournament caliber. Whether they end up. Uh, at large or winning a conference or that sort of thing and Auburn's already got several of them on the schedule in the non-conference for this coming year as they get set for basketball in uh, a few months Um, obviously we will have uh, plenty of football between now and then but again that news today dropping today that Auburn will play Indiana in holiday hoops giving in Neville Arena that also I could get a get who else is already committed to be there this year um, I saw it earlier because it, it was a couple schools that it, it's uh, some big names. All right, so the, the rest of the slate for Holiday Hoops getting that's been revealed, Mississippi State will play somebody. Don't know okay, who that but, is yet. Okay. Uh, then USF will play Loyola, and Georgia Tech will play uh, Penn State. Okay, gotcha. So Auburn will still be the headline game there. Uh, West Virginia Tech plays someone huge, uh, but I think Auburn and Indiana both surpassed Virginia Tech. So uh, Auburn and Indiana will be the headliner for Holiday Hoops giving uh, this December. I also, it also got me thinking because we talked a little bit about the realignment aspect from that reporting from John Talty earlier this week that really Florida State and Clemson don't even move the SEC's needle that much in terms of interest from the league office now of course us out here from a football perspective that seems like the obvious choices uh in the history of florida state the last decade of what clemson's been again seem obvious but in league circles according to john talty's report those don't really move the needle much and that it's actually north carolina and virginia and the acc that the SEC would have a little bit more interest in because it would open up new markets. That got me thinking that if Carolina joined the league or Virginia, and again, that's that is report. John Talty is credible. I I'm still not sure if I believe that's what would happen if the SEC expanded. I still I still would think it would be Florida State Clemson. But if it were North Carolina, Virginia, a that would add incredible basketball. To this conference now again it's a football first conference it's a football first athletics world but uh north carolina will always carry its weight in basketball and move any needle you want to move and it is one of the, the schools that does profit plenty from their basketball program and then virginia obviously has been uh, a really good basketball program since tony bennett got there but it also got me thinking like what else can auburn do non-conference wise uh, on, the, on the basketball court, we talk about some big-time college football matchups we'd like to see Auburn have. Newsflash, if the conferences keep getting bigger and bigger, we're going to see them. We're going to see more of them because more teams will be in the conference. Like, again, you want to see Auburn play Oklahoma or Texas? Just wait a year or two. It's going to happen. Promise. Uh, basketball-wise, though, they end up they played Duke and Maui. They played Carolina in the NCAA tournament, played Kentucky every year, played Kansas in the NCAA tournament. They played UCLA in a while. 
Not that I can remember. Not at least not uh, not outside of a NCAA tournament uh-huh. setting. So I'm not thinking about an Auburn UCLA matchup. Although USC, obviously, they went out there. Just different LA school. So outside of UCLA, Auburn's hit really all the big markers. They even played UConn a couple of years ago. Again, they were going to hit on Indiana this year. Already played Carolina, Duke, like I said. For a program that was struggling the way Auburn's was pre-Bruce Pearl, again, I that's not really usually one of the metrics to think of when saying, hey, program success rate, who have you played? But, yeah, Auburn's played all the big teams except for UCLA in the last six or seven years, some of them in very important ma- important games. And so I was like, I, you know, I don't even know. I guess we could get try to get some of these schools to come here or have a big matchup here or, or, or go play at the Deanie Smith Center, go play at Cameron Indoor, go play at Allen Fieldhouse. But, again, Auburn's been able to, in basketball, play the absolute biggest names of the sport, and that will only continue with the Indiana game in Atlanta. And, you know, credit to Bruce Pearl going and setting these games up. But I know – like the uh, the, I think the Baylor game is part of like a, a preseason event thing in uh, South Dakota, and the obviously Indiana is part of a pre of a, a, a non conference event in Atlanta. But you know, credit to Bruce Pearl on scheduling these these types of uh, games. I mean, last year you went out to the West Coast and you played Washington and you played USC, uh, and Auburn. I think Auburn has gotten to the point where they really don't need to go play that because they're getting invited to some of these more premier non-conference tournaments. You're getting the Legends Classic, who this year, you know, like I said, Auburn, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, and St. Bonaventure. You can vividly remember seeing those teams in the NCAA tournament in, re- in, in recent years. You went to Maui a couple years ago. I think they've got the invitation to go back to Maui in a couple years, uh, I think it's been announced. Um, you're, you're getting they, – they went to the Bahamas, the, the Bad Boy Mowers Bahamas thing. Um, Battle it, for Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it, you're getting invited to these the, these bigger events that have the premier teams, and so in the non conference you could do and you know take a shot across the bow at Mr. JJ Jackson's team, but you could take a shot uh, you do what Duke does and go schedule some of these smaller opponents uh, and know that you're going to get the big time opponents in you know Duke almost every single year. They're in the Maui Invitational. They're in that Phil Knight. Uh, Invitational. They're playing in the Champions Classic, and so you're getting those premier matchups without having to go and have to go play a road game at you know Kansas or at Michigan State or somewhere else uh, big at Kentucky. But Bruce Pearl has continued to go out and set these non-conference games up, where it's like I'm going to go out and I'm going to play these non-conference games. I'm going to go take a trip to the West Coast and play in USC and play in a hostile environment up in Washington. I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take any opportunity to get this team better so that they know what it's like when you're playing in the NCAA tournament cuz I'll tell you what, it it's it's a far away place in South Dakota, but the very first game of the year, I bet you it's going to feel probably like a tournament environment playing Baylor up there and it's going to it's a neutral site. You're going to have uh, some fans travel from each uh, each school. It may not be as hype because it's the very first game of the year, but you're going to get an go ahead and give this team an idea of what it's going to be like playing in March when you're not in front of your home fans on, on Neville Arena's court. Yeah, that will be a big game for sure. Baylor under Scott Drew has been an excellent program for quite some time and obviously winning a national title a couple of years ago. And Again, that just again adds to everything Auburn's got going on. But again, the reason we were discussing 
is because Auburn will be playing Indiana in Holiday Hoops giving Saturday, December 9th in Atlanta. We're going to take our first time out of our number two. When we come back, we'll get a little bit more into the ACC side of the conference realignment discussion. Any final thoughts kind of on the Pac-12 side, or at least the final thoughts for now. Again, more as apps change during the course of this show and, of course, over the weekend. And a little bit later coming up, we will reveal Sports Call's Player of the Week. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday afternoon. I just came across this headline, and I had to mention it just for 90 seconds. This is just how subnational things go, and it's just unbelievable. There was a topic on a uh, Fox Sports show earlier today, it looks like, or CB. I can't even tell. I think it's Fox. Big deal that the Jets lost the Hall of Fame game? (laughs) Good grief, guys. It was a preseason game. The first preseason game. The very first one. Rodgers didn't play a snap. What? Watson didn't play a snap. Watson didn't play a snap. Did Chubb play? I don't think so. Good grief. Well, oh, gee. <laughs> the, the year, I, I think I mentioned this on the show yesterday, the year I went to see the Bucs lose in the preseason, the Titans 38 nothing. The Bucks went thirteen and four and lost a heartbreaker to the Rams in the divisional round. So they won a playoff game, went won thirteen games, lost by a field goal to the eventual Super Bowl champions. I don't think the preseason matters much, guys. Listen, I don't I, think it matters. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say. Um, I don't want to make fun of the preseason because it's a lot of people's chance to get into the NFL. Sure, but is it a big deal? that the two-thirds of the guys from the Browns roster that are probably going to get cut beat two-thirds of the guys from the Jets roster that's going to get cut. Right. Look, Austin Watkins, shout-out to a former UAB Blazer, caught a touchdown pass from uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR. You talked a little bit about him. uh, And I'm pretty sure that there's zero chance that Austin Watkins makes the team. Zero chance. Um, and I just, I just don't understand how people start to analyze the results of that. It's it's unbelievable. All right, so two thirds of the games was interview. Two thirds of the game coverage was interviews with the yeah, Hall of those Famers. Were, those were the longest in game interviews that you'll see, and it was fine. Like I was watching the Rondé Barber interview, uh, but again, it went a whole drive. It was like seven plays, and so I don't know. Anyway, so moving on to the other part of this conference realignment 
deal, and that is what then could happen to the ACC. Now, the good news for the ACC as a whole is that I just don't know how many more spots are left because the ACC teams are not going to the Pac-12. That would be – it's that's just not happening. We're not entertaining that. Yeah, if, if Florida State's mad about TV money and the ACC, yeah. wait till they see what's happening <laughs> right. in the Pac-12. So that's not happening. And then the Big 12 is, what, up to 14 teams now? Going to so. be 16 if they, if they ingest – no, I could be wrong here. No, they've got – yeah, they're up to 14 with Colorado and Arizona. They could be up to 16 with Arizona State and uh, potentially with Utah. They could add a few more. I think 20 seems like the round number that we've always thought about. So they could uh, concede the Big 12 is in some position. However, their teams don't make much more than the ACC teams unless they can offer a full share, which they really can't without devaluing other shares a little bit. Then that money's not going to really be significant. So the Big 12 just doesn't have enough of a money gap. So you're only looking at the SEC and the Big 10. And the Big 10, after they consume uh, Oregon and Washington, that's 16 teams, right? Or no, that's 18. I think they're at 14 now. So that will be 16 16 once they have Oregon and Washington. Uh, Because you're already factoring in USC, UCLA, right? Yeah. So those those addition of four add to – no, the Big Ten's already at 14 teams. I'm sorry. So the Big Ten's already at 14. So without USC, UCLA, UCLA, 16. 16, So it would be 18. Right. They're at 18. Again, I can only fathom like two more spots. And it might go to Cal Stanford. I don't even know for sure Cal and Stanford are going to beg the Big Ten. That doesn't mean the Big Ten will take them. But it's not even out of the question that those two end up going to. I also want to point out that the Big Ten already released their 2024 schedule. I know. I wanted to get to that second. I, I hate you beat me to the punchline there because I was going to also say that, again, all this is occurring next year. This is not some like fantasy land. we got to wait five years, champ it out under harsh conditions of, of vitriol, knowing that things are about to fail. No, 2024, fall of 2024, all this starts. All these Pac-12 teams are in the Big 12, Big 10, etc. The ACC deal runs through 2036. That's why Florida State is going to have to involve lawyers. That's why Florida State would owe a ton of money to the ACC that they, I think, from what I'm reading, are not going to be able to get out of whatsoever. Going to have to hire lawyers, uh, get try and raise capital, solve something with J.P. Morgan Chase that Florida State's going to try and get some private equity. I mean, just just all over the place. But Florida State is becoming increasingly desperate to get out of the ACC just because of the money, which, again, that's obviously what all this is about. And so spot-wise, 18 in the Big Ten, okay, going to be, again, we established 14, maybe 16 in the Big 12, probably 16 in the Big 12. And then we've established that with the SEC add-ons, obviously, of Oklahoma and Texas. Again, we're all talking 2024. That obviously will get the SEC to 16 teams. So you're only looking about eight total spots. And again, the Big 12 is not really practical 
because there's no big financial gap. So really, you're looking at four-ish SEC spots at the absolute maximum. Not that the SEC even wants to do that. And you're looking at like two more Big Ten slots. The ACC has a big grouping of teams. Okay, The ACC is was on the larger side of conferences, especially if you factor in a quasi-relationship with Notre Dame. But the ACC currently is at 14 teams, plus Notre Dame kind of fiddling around in there too. So even if you drop four or five, you still have a number that you can continue with the conference with. The ACC would probably start to think about their expansion. Maybe they would target something like Appalachian State. Maybe they would tar- target something like Florida Atlantic, et cetera, et cetera. Don't have to go all the way there. But I'm saying that the ACC, the thought that we're now – no, no, no thought about the Pac-12 was too detrimental. No thought was too deadly. No thought was too dangerous. It could all occur, and it is all occurring. But we shouldn't go to the conclusion the ACC is just going to also spontaneously combust. That is not necessarily the next step. What the next step simply is is reshaping what we think of in terms of the strength of that conference. The conference will stand, but does it lose its key members? Does it lose Florida State Clemson? Does it lose... North Carolina for the basketball element and that sort of thing. Does it lose the other Floridian school, Miami? That, that's that's what we're talking about. And, again, it would be good news. It would be a sigh of relief for the ACC if the SEC truly does not have big interest in Florida State or Clemson because, again, that takes up the, the valid roster spots. Um, there is breaking news, by the way, on this front and the other side. Utah and Arizona State applied for formal membership to the Big 12 Conference, and there's a call tonight with the Big 12's presidents and chancellors, chancellors to discuss their membership. Arizona applied and was approved yesterday, that according to Pete Thamel. So Utah and Arizona State are about to make it 16 in the Big 12 as we speak. That was the two that were more in question. Pac-12 going down to four. Um, the Pac-4, barely a pack. The group of four, I don't know. I don't even know what to call them. The power four? <coughs> They don't have much power, though. Um, so the ACC is not in big com- trouble as a conference. It's just simply, is does it lose its best parts, therefore knocking it down a notch? Again, they cannot, they've just not been able to convince Notre Dame to give up their independence. No one can at this point. And we're really about out of moves of making sense to strengthen the league because, I mean, they could add Memphis. They, they could add, like I said, they could add App State. That's nice. App State could probably beat a few ACC teams right now. Coastal, you know, maybe. Coastal could probably beat a couple. Those are incredibly small football stadiums, fan bases. It's just so small because they're, they're so new. They're so new to FBS football. And I just don't think that, that would do anything. I certainly don't think it would make ESPN want to renegotiate. Oh, fine. Instead of $23 million a team, we'll go up to $33 million just out of the kindness of our hearts. Just because Appalachian State beat Michigan that one time. Yeah. So I don't think that that is in play here. But, Brooks, what do you, what do you think about Florida State? What do you think they are justified in being this antsy? Is it just the sign of the times? Everyone else is getting more money. Why aren't we? I think that's what it is. I think that it, they see all these teams uh, jumping to the Big Ten and and the Big Twelve and getting more money. And it's just you know if 
if this was a around the year that the ACC would be renegotiating their contract, I don't think you'd have this problem because I think some of the a big network would pay for the ACC because Florida State's a big brand, Clemson's a big brand. Um, you, you've got some, Miami's a huge brand in college football. You've got teams in the ACC, uh, North Carolina basketball, Duke basketball, Syracuse basketball. You've got big brands in all different sports, Virginia, uh, that that have that carry weight in that conference. And so if this was a, a if we were very close to a renegotiating period or if they were renegotiating this year, I think you would see somebody paying big money. And I think that you would see Florida State being, all right, cool. I think it's the fact that they have signed this long-term deal a few years ago, and it's still long, you know, still a long way to go, that they're getting antsy. They're seeing, and it's the new world of college football. I mean, you see NIL is a big deal now. You see uh, the arms race that is uh, facilities around the, the, uh, the country. I mean, you know, not in Florida State's backyard, but in their region, Auburn, just open up a brand new sparkling facility. You're seeing, uh, you're seeing teams. Florida is about to open up a brand new sparkling facility, or they just did open it up. They're they're getting a new one. So you're right in their region. You're seeing big teams uh, open up new facilities that it you you're you're looking at yours. And I don't think it was that long ago that they built their their facility, but it's it's all by this point it's already you know you're you're starting to look at it. You're like uh. Maybe we have to upgrade a little bit. And so if it was closer, if they were renegotiating very, very soon or this year, I don't I, I think that you would have them see a little more settled um, because I think the ACC is still in a very powerful stage. Uh, they they've you know, it, you, you look at their teams, the bottom half of the ACC is still the bottom half. Like it, you're, you're looking at it, you're like, uh, well, but everybody on this uh, in the ACC has something to offer. Pittsburgh's been good in football recently. Um, they're starting to pull up in basketball. Uh, Wake Forest just uh, played in the College World Series. They're a really good baseball program. Pretty good program. basketball program, too. True. Uh, Virginia Tech, they, they've had their runs here in football. They've had their runs uh, a couple times in uh, baseball. I think they made the tournament this year. Everybody in the ACC has something that they are uh, that they can hang their hats on right now. Uh, the only one that I can think of is maybe Georgia Tech. Yeah. Maybe. I was about to say, I don't know what you could attribute. And Boston College has been pretty lowly. The good news for like Boston College and Pittsburgh is that there still is an, an 80s, 90s history to yeah. it, but it has clearly lacked recently. And so there, there's still a conference that carries weight. And somebody, once the renegotiation period comes up, they're going to get money. I think that the ACC is just going to have to, you know, sit down with Florida State, kind of talk them off the ledge, if you will, and uh, get them back. You know, say, "Hey, guys, you don't have to panic. It's going to be fine. We're 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 going to get through this." And maybe, you know, maybe the ACC gets antsy and they go to the networks and they see about a renegotiation. I mean, heck, Florida State just, you know, just a couple of years ago, twenty what is twenty nineteen, the ACC network started. And so you you're getting that influx of, of uh, money into the conference. So it's it's going, you know, they're 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 getting a little antsy because that renegotiation period is, is far away. Um and you're, they're seeing a lot of other teams get get a lot more money very quickly, and it you know you you look at like you said that it's J P Morgan Chase is uh, 
is getting involved or they're getting involved with JP Morgan Chase to see about it. I think they're going to end up see, you know, doing all this look and they're going to say it's not worth it. We know we're going to get money here in the near future and so they're they're going to they're going to start behaving again. You know how bothered Oregon's board of trustees is by this? How? One of them is golfing during the the Zoom meeting. Is it that, on kinda, the golf course kind of like a george w bush kind of thing it's like <laughs> you know i think we should go to the big 10 now watch this drive yeah oh man uh so anyway i, I again to echo some of your <laughs> thoughts like i just florida state's looking at other people get more money and they're getting jealous because they they feel they are above them in the college landscape they are but Again, this is all timeliness, and look, this is a mismanagement of the ACC because they signed too long of a deal. You can't blame them at that time, I suppose, for trying to seek some long-term security, but 2016, a 20-year deal is a long deal, and again, long deals, usually there's a benefit to both sides, but still one benefit outweighs the other, and the ACC wanted some long-term security. They got that, but they locked in at a lower number not anticipating sports just by the year to just every single year being more and more and more and more and more lucrative. And so that's where we're at. That's why the ACC teams are getting low to mid-20s per year. But I just – there are interesting discussions because the ACC just doesn't have a lot of big football powers, but they've got those schools like Carolina, like Duke, that offer a lot basketball perspective. Again, that does not add much to the TV money. Does not add much to the football side of things, but it adds a whatever you can add in basketball. I mean, the three biggest brands in the sport: North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky. Kansas is close, sure. That's in the top five. Then you can throw at me UCLA, Indiana, whatever. But Carolina, Kentucky, Duke—that's the biggest three in uh, brand-wise in basketball. And so, the SEC could have two of them if they went the North Carolina route. But, again, I don't think the ACC is, needs to be in full panic mode. But their problem is they're kind of stuck. They've already made their decision. Klivakov was actively making poor decisions by delaying negotiation and not playing hardball and not trying to add more teams. He was make, actively making bad decisions last year or two. I don't know what ACC commissioner – I believe it's Jim Phillips. I have to double-check if it's still Jim Phillips. I don't know what else he's supposed to do because – that deal is so long, and you're not going to get a TV company just to, for the heck of it, say, yeah, we'll give you more money. You know what the TV company's going to prefer? Yeah, give a couple of your best teams to the SEC. We got a big deal with them. We just signed it. That That's what they're going to probably prefer instead of giving you a whole new deal, uh, which you agreed upon for the next 13 years. And so I just don't think that um, I just don't think that the ACC can do much other than try to alter the pay structure and kind of bet on the fact that the Georgia Techs and Boston Colleges of the conference just don't have any other plays. So if they end up sucking and they only get 18, 19 million of the, of the share, and then the big boys like Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina get 28, 29, 30 million, might have to just sit and take it. They already did something like that, a little bit of a tiered-off system, but they could make it. I guess they could make it more. But other than that, there's really not much the ACC can do. And Florida State knows that. What the ACC's got to bank on is not more interest from 
the other conference. But there is there is potential Big Ten gets interested. While we talk about the SEC not seeming that way, maybe it would change if Florida State begged enough, but also maybe it would change if the Big Ten stepped in and tried to diversify the portfolio in a way I never envisioned the Big Ten would. But uh, that is that is at least possible still if you are reading all the reporting. But, again, the latest reporting out of the Pac-12, more change coming. Looks like Utah and Arizona State also on their way to the Big 12. That would leave just four remaining in the Pac-12. We're going to take our next time out on the show. When we come back, still got to get to Sports Call's Player of the Week. Also, we'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday afternoon. Again, reminder coming up in the third hour, a preview on Florida football, including the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. Then a little bit later, a want to watch for over the weekend. Before we go further in the show, though, time to reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Atlanta Braves first baseman Matt Olson is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The repeat winner once again led the Braves to a winning week, batting 368 and slugging three homers to drive in eight runs over five games. Olson continues what has been an incredible season as he maintains his lead in the National League in home runs and took the top spot in all of Major League Baseball for RBIs. Since the start of June, Olson's average has climbed steadily as well, from 228 to 261. Matt Olson is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Matt Olson doing more damage for the Atlanta Braves. He even hit a couple homers earlier this week against the Angels in that series. He is trying to run down or hit up or whatever Shohei Otani uh, for most home runs in the year. But uh, Brooks, Olson was providing power out of the two spot. Then they moved him to cleanup, and he's hit a whole nother gear, and he's been... Uh, again, as good of a replacement as you could have had for Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I mean, and it's like you said, he's already, I, I would say, for me at least, he's already in the running for a vote for back-to-back uh, uh, players of the week now we have, after his uh, performance earlier this week with the Angels going into the weekend. 
Um, but yeah, you know, he was, you, you got worried last year uh, when the Braves did not re-sign Freeman and they made the trade for Olsen. You knew Olsen was good. You knew he was an all-star caliber player, but you're, you were looking at it and I, it was probably, you know, a, a lot of it was you just wanted to keep Freddie. It was it, at that point you you were sad that Freddie was leaving. He's a, he was a lifelong brave up until that point. You, you didn't want him to leave. He was the franchise. Um, but Matt Olson came in and said, you know, I, I realize I'm not the guy, but I'm going to do my darndest to win you over. And he's done it. I mean, he's he's just come in and he popped off last year, and then this year he was literally popping off. He's uh, he he is like you said, challenging Shohei Otani for that home run lead in the major leagues. He's a guy that's uh, put himself firmly in the conversation along with Ronald Acuna Jr. for MVP, um, and he just continues to hit. Like uh, Brant uh, put together that commercial for us. Like he said, five games last week, he had 19 at-bats, four runs scored, seven hits total, eight RBIs, three of those hits were home runs, left the ballpark, and uh, yeah, he just he continues to be a great addition to uh to the Braves and it it feels like and I know sometimes you know you you overlook some of the bad signings and some of the bad trades but Alex Anthopoulos uh quite literally hit a home run with uh with this trade last year and then it it appears he's doing the same thing with that Sean Murphy uh deal earlier this year to get him and uh, Sean Murphy's done a great job but man Matt Olson has just been a, a especially like you said moving him to that three hole has just hit another another level so Matt Olson, this week's Sports Call and Player of the Week, as the Braves got win number 70, by the way, today, too, the first team in MLB to do that. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Auburn Bank phone line today. Let's go to the Auburn Bank phone line. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve got a little bit shorter time today, but how are you this afternoon? Okay, I'll take it. Any kind of time to give you guys. Uh, how's the afternoon going for you guys? Uh, going quite well. Okay, so it's you and uh, who else is on here? And, and Brooks. And Brooks. All right. Well, let's get to it then real quickly. Uh, apparently, we just can't get along with each other, these different conference teams, right? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Well, according to this, uh, I guess I just got on here, yeah. The breaking news is that Pete Thamel is reporting it's going to be a unanimous vote by the Big Ten to make an offer to Oregon and Washington. I guess you know that. Oh, yeah. No, that's basically all we've talked about today on the show. Okay, all right. Then I guess Arizona, Arizona State, Utah are next? Yes, they are, and that was reported just a few minutes ago that they uh, Arizona was last night, but uh, Arizona State and Utah are going to be getting invitations here shortly. Well, question, guys. Uh, I know the ACC has this as a stipulation uh, that if any of their teams leave, they have to pay a hefty penalty. Do these teams... Are they required to pay any penalties for leaving? No, because there's no deal. Uh, there's no TV deal for 2024. There's no grant of rights, and so th- you're having the grant of rights binds you into a, a deal with the conference, and so that was all up for renewal. That has been the issue: is that there is no deal in place, and so no, these teams can walk free next year. Okay, and Hunter is now being the hunted. Uh, a little sarcasm there. Apparently, he wasn't seen today at practice. Uh, people, of course, are asking, well, has anybody looked you know, in any bushes, you know, around mm-hmm. the campus, you know? Uh, guys, what do you make of this? That some sort of suspension has been doled out or he's still or he's still uh, suspended? That That's the only thing that I can make of it. If he's, so if he's, 
Okay, excuse me, but if he's suspended in the past, coaches will tell us so and so has been suspended uh, until further notice, or you know. But now we're not getting anything. Yeah, and, and it just goes back to you know what what Hugh Freeze said at media days and what he said yesterday. They don't talk about internal internal stuff, and so I, it it that leads me to believe that I would lean more toward the it's whatever is what whatever's happened. He's still under in some sort of investigation, or else, like you said, they would say. Or they would say he's either suspended, he's kicked off the team, he's no longer with us. They would say something, but it, it just feels like there's still there's still not a full resolution to the the uh, the problem. And I find that remarkable that this happened on I can't remember May the 18th. It was announced by the university, and now we've gone into two months and going maybe into three months. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't grasp why. Uh, this hasn't been resolved yet. Again, I mean, it's going to be the same things we've continued to tell you, Steve, that, again, they, we don't know everything, obviously, but with serious investigations, they do take time. Obviously, they're not purposely dragging their feet. Why would you purposely do that? But they want to make sure they get everything right and consider all potential punishments or who should be punished and, and that sort of thing. And, again, obviously, we – are disappointed it takes this long, but it, it will be resolved when it needs to be resolved. Right. Okay. Uh, moving on, guys. Uh, how about this from the website Crane & Company? Tim Brando, who I don't really care for much for his predictions or his comments, uh, especially when it comes to Auburn. Anyway, he's dropped his college football top ten. Have you seen his list? Uh, his top ten? No, I have not. Yeah, here they are for your entertainment. Michigan won. Next, Georgia's two, Oregon three, LSU four, Ohio State five, six is Alabama, Kansas State comes in at seven, Clemson's at eight, Pitt State is nine, and number ten, Tulane, the Green Wave. Whoa, yeah, I don't know about that one. I mean, this, I mean, this seems wild. Okay. Yeah, showing a lot of respect for the year they had last year, but probably still a little too much. But LSU number four? Are you serious? Yeah, I think that's a couple spots too high, but I do think they're absolutely in the top ten in the preseason. I think they're probably in the, the seven or eight range. So, again, that's not uh, egregious to me, but uh, it kind of depends. You're going to have whoever you favor between Alabama or LSU, you're going to have in the top five. So if you favor LSU slightly, which some do, then you're going to have them in the top five. And if you favor Alabama, you're going to have them in the top five. And even I could see them both being like four and five. So, again, I don't think it's I don't think it's egregious. Oregon, number three, kind of struck me as odd. Yeah, that one's a little gutsy on Oregon. I, I don't think Oregon's that high. I think they're in that. I think I think LSU would probably be ranked ahead of Oregon by more polls than not. Uh, I could see Oregon. I certainly could see Oregon in the top ten. But, again, top five, that feels a bit lofty. Yeah, I thought Ohio State was devalued there. He has a number five. Cause it, it's also interesting because I, I don't believe you said USC in the top ten. So, to have no, Oregon – Oregon, I have Oregon number three and USC not in the top ten. I would that that is questionable. I mean, I'd have put USC at least number ten instead of Tulane. Yes, uh, although I, <laughs> if you go off last year, uh, Tulane did beat them. But yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that would happen again. Yeah. Okay. We real quickly, finally, guys. This is another ESPN. Way too darn early. Top twenty-five for basketball. Have you seen their ridiculous picks? Uh, no, I've not seen the top 25. Okay, real quickly. Kansas, number one. Duke, number two. Yep. Michigan State, number oh, – I'm sorry, I missed number three. Uh, number three is uh, 
uh, Purdue, four Michigan State, five UConn, six the Houston Cougars, seven Gonzaga, eight is Tennessee. What do you think about that, guys? Uh, I, I have not deep-dived into the entirety of, of what should happen in the preseason rankings. Um, I Again, I'd have to go through Tennessee. Tennessee probably feels high. Those The other stuff, Kansas and Duke, in some order, is absolutely number one. Gonzaga's going to be up there again. So a lot of that seemed normal. I, again, I'd have to double-check on everything Tennessee-related. Okay, move on. This one got me. Florida Atlantic Owl is number nine. Yeah, out of their final four season from last year, also the fact that they return, I think, four of their five starters. So, again, that that is giving them a lot of credit for their tournament run. I, I That might prove to be a little bit silly, but, again, that's that's where it's coming from. Okay, Marquette number 10, Arizona 11, San Diego Aztecs 12, Creighton 13, Arkansas Razorbacks at 14. Yeah, they, they had a huge transfer portal cycle, huge transfer okay. portal cycle. Uh the Tar Heels, Mr. J.J. Jackson, I believe, 15. Uh, no, he's notably a Duke fan. I'm a North Stop Carolina right fan. Now, yep. just Villanova, 16. Kentucky is lowly 17. They've come down. Miami Hurricanes, 18. Texas A&M Aggies, number 19. Beetle Bears, number 20. USC, 21. The Crimson Tide, 22. St. Mary, the Gales of St. Mary, 23. Texas Longhorns, 24. And number 25. St. John's, Auburn, nowhere to be found, guys. What do you think? Yeah, I think that Auburn, I would still rank them. Uh, I would not rank them incredibly high. I'd rank them probably in the low 20s. Um, but I've been reading more and more that that the likeliness is that they do not end up ranked in the in the preseason. So uh, that would be that's not going to be surprising. I really thought in the summer they were going to end up in the top 25, but other schools did other things and that sort of thing. So it. it I still think that it should be in the 20s, but, again, it's it's going to be teetering, obviously. Well, just give me your thoughts real quick, guys. What do you think is the reason that we're not getting any kind of, I guess, favoritism or, or uh, acknowledgement? Well, losing a couple starters off a team that was an eight seed, including an all-SEC player. And, look, I, I didn't always love Wendell Green Jr., but, obviously, if you're an all-SEC player, you lose that, and then you lose a, a multi-year starter in Flanagan. That's that's going to hurt a little bit. Your additions, you do bring in a, a high-profile guy in Aiden Holloway. You bring in a really good scorer, scorer in Denver Jones. So, in my opinion, you have now equaled what you've done from last year, maybe slightly bettered it. But some other transfers like Chaney Johnson, they're, they're not going to hold weight uh, nationally. Uh, because, Jani Broom back. Well, I, I know. And I know Jani Broom's back. He's in the starters back. But – uh, again, the the thought is that he's not going to be worlds better than he was last year. He's going to be better, and he's going to be a very good player, and he's going to be very relevant. Uh, but I'm just saying that that team was in and was not ranked most of the last year. I mean, it, it teetered on the bubble for a lot a long period of time, and so only adding or you know losing a couple starters, but adding a couple good players, it seems like it shakes out about even maybe with a higher ceiling for sure, but. Again, there's still not a known commodity in Aiden Holloway and that sort of thing. So, again, that's why I'd say I'd put 20s because I'd bet a little bit higher in the ceiling, but that's probably their logic there. We do have to go, Steve. This is the end of the hour. Okay, guys. I know there was a preseason game last night. I saw the final but didn't watch it. So I hope you guys have a relaxing and entertaining afternoon uh, and weekend, and please stay out of trouble. I have to work at it. So until Monday, guys, more damn Eagle. 
War Eagle Steve, appreciate your phone call. That is Retire War Dam Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time here for hour number two. Coming up in hour number three, a sports call five at five, brought to you by Southeastern Land Group, a preview of Florida football and a what to watch for over the weekend. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress on this Friday edition of the show. Wardrobe change for me uh, <laughs> between hours, hour break there. It happens sometimes. Well, I wouldn't say a full wardrobe change, just an addition. Sure. Uh, just kind of freshen it up every now and then as uh, we freshen things up for a Sports Call 5 at 5. Presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you are looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334 524 Two seven five six, or call Brian Watts at three three four seven zero seven four two seven three, or find them at selandgroup.com. So for the sports call five at five, presented by Southeastern Land Group today, we're going to go through the previous five Florida head coaches as we get set to talk a little Florida football here in hour number three and do. Another preview with our 14 SEC schools in 13 days. So let's get started. Number one. So we're looking at the last five Florida coaches and the vast differences in between them, which is culminating in where the Florida program is today. Urban Meyer uh, is first up. Urban Meyer, obviously, with two national championships at Florida. Very successful tenure after coming over from Utah. And Meyer was, again, Building a a very fun, fierce environment with Florida versus Alabama for a couple of years. And then kind of, again, everything played out the way it did. He leaves, uh, kind of fake retirement there, and ends up where I think he wanted to end up all along in Ohio State. But very successful tenure at Florida, uh, minus really the last season. And so Florida football continues and even improves off of the Steve Spurrier era. Uh, era. Obviously, there was Ron Zook in between. But, again, pretty good run of football for Florida 
with Urban Meyer there. All right, next up. Number two. Then it was on to Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp was going to be the next coach at Texas. He was the coach in waiting for Mac Brown, but Mac Brown continued to coach there a little bit longer than originally anticipated. Will Muschamp got a little antsy. A big opportunity came up, and he took it with the University of Florida. However, Muschamp did not prove out, uh, turn out to be a, a very good coach. They did have one good year. They went to a, I believe at the time, was still a BCS Bowl. I think it was like 2012 or 2013. They played uh, Louisville and, and, and Teddy Bridgewater in that year, and they were number three in the country coming that game. If there had been a four-team playoff, they would have been in it. Uh, they played that bowl game, though, and then they were not really the same after that as Florida would then struggle under Muschamp. I believe that was the gaffe of them blocking themselves. I think that was under Muschamp. Might have been under their next coach. So we get to our next coach. Number three. Is Jim McElwain. The Jim McElwain tenure, which was really not overly positive. I believe one trip to the SEC title game with the team that still had multiple losses. Uh, not as good as the one Muschamp good team. And a wanted to go to an offensive coach after – the defensive-minded Muschamp, and again, it just uh, it did not go well in the three seasons at Florida. Again, they did start off okay. I'm sorry, they actually went to the, the title game twice uh, and then got fired in year three after a three-and-four start. So, again, still using the high expectations, I guess, in hindsight, when you look back at it, it was not going terribly, especially those first few years. I mean, you went to the conference title game, you just had four losses those years. I mean, it was not best version of the East, but then a, a bad year three was not allowed to continue. Had some stuff going on there with McElwain, and so Jim McElwain was out the door. Number four. Then it was Dan Mullen, who felt like this was some sort of destiny after coaching under Urban Meyer at Florida and leading Mississippi State's program for quite some time. And very successfully, to heights Mississippi State football had never been to before, the number one ranking in the country when they played Alabama in 2014. So, again, that was real stuff that Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State. At first, it looked like it was going to go pretty good at Florida, but it seemed like a lack of, uh, I'm not going to say ability to recruit, but lack of care to recruit and um, some fatigue there. And then... Not a lot of discipline with Dan Mullen at Florida. And after, again, what had built Mississippi State into a respectable program, all of a sudden Florida got a couple good years in there. But, again, they see Dan Mullen's tenure cut pretty short. Number five. And now Florida on to Billy Napier, which, again, if you're judging the last Florida coaches and you're judging the start of Billy Napier, not a whole lot of reason to – be overly optimistic. They are recruiting much better this cycle, but still going to have to go and do it on the field. So our sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Lane Group. The last five and current Florida head football coaches, Urban Meyer, Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen, on to Billy Napier. So on we go to our preview of Florida football for 2023. Voted fifth in the Eastern Division of the Southeastern Conference in the final year of divisions in the Southeastern Conference. And Brooks, uh, a lot of question marks around this program. Even with the more positive recruiting, year one went off the tracks after a, a 
Great start beating Utah last year. Looked fun. High draft pick quarterback, but again, not a lot of optimism for the Gators in 2023. Yeah, it and it's I mentioned it earlier when we were introing the show at, in the three o'clock hour. Um, this is a team with Florida that you can really see landing in a, a wide variety of areas. Um, yeah, that you know, last year you had that uh, you you started the season with a, a pretty nice win over Utah, Utah team that went on to play in the Rose Bowl last year. Um, and you know, you, you look at the rest of their schedule; they didn't really have a marquee win after that. Uh, you beat UC, USF, you beat Eastern Michigan and Missouri. Woohoo! That's what you're supposed to do if you're Florida. Um, Texas A&M and South Carolina. South Carolina was probably the marquee matchup uh, because South Carolina, you know how they finished the end of the year last year. They uh, they went on a real tear, and you shut them down. They only scored six points in that game last year. Uh, but then that Texas A&M game, Texas A&M was really struggling last year. Uh, on a normal year, you'd look at that game and say, hey, that's a that's a really good win, not this past year. Um, but, you know, you, you you look at what they're doing. They're, they're replacing a, a really good quarterback uh, in Anthony Richardson. Well, I say a really good quarterback. He uh, got a lot of draft hype, but they, you saw flashes – of Anthony Richardson's, uh, what he could be at Florida, but he wasn't. He didn't do it every single game, and that I think that's what got in trouble over the past couple of years. Is he was you saw the flashes with Anthony Richardson, and it was just it, it nothing ever. It was never consistent. It was never you know you you can never depend on him every single game to do it. Now you got Graham Mertz uh, from from Wisconsin coming down. Uh, you, you've got some, uh, you, you've got some pieces there. You're returning what six on the offensive side of things, five on the defensive side of things. Um, it's it's a very balanced, uh, you know, replacement over uh, people that are staying. So it's it's very very balanced. It's you know it, it it's really what the Florida thing is is just going to be does does the university administration or the athletics administration, does the fan base and the boosters have patience? Because it feels like Billy Napier is building some momentum on the recruiting side of things that is to come in the next few years once these once these players get on campus. This year, it's if this if the season starts off on a on a you know, if they start off, let's you know, you look at the first you know, let's take the first five. You got at Utah, McNeese, host Tennessee, host Charlotte, and at Kentucky. Say you start two and three with just winning that McNeese and that Charlotte game. Just worst case scenario, you say you, you, that's your um, that's what you start. Do is it pan, do they panic and do they say, oh no, this is this is not good, um, or is there going to be a little bit of patience here? I don't know what you know. I'm, I'm not obviously we're it's not sports called Gainesville, so we don't know the what what the um, the true nature of the fan base is. We know there's a lot of loud fans on social media and such that are calling that are already you know at, midway through last year we're already saying Napier's not it. Get someone else in here, and if you're if you have that mentality. Um, you're going to end up, I, I hate to say it, you're going to end up like Tennessee, and you're going to go through several different coaches um, before, or you're going to keep going through coaches uh, hoping that you run into one, and Tennessee seems to have run into one here. Uh, but Florida, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, you, you look at the schedule, it's it's not horrendous, but it's also not a cakewalk. 
because you do have that road game at Utah, a team that is going in, uh, coming off a Rose Bowl game. Uh, we talked about it, I think, when we did our over-unders for the Pac-12. Um, Cam Rising, there's some questions on how healthy he's going to be at the start of the year. Um, and But if, if he's somewhere anywhere near being you know able to play or even being you know pretty healthy, that could be a problem for you going out there to start things off. Tennessee's not going to be easy to, for your third game. Kentucky, a road game at Kentucky's not going to be easy. At South Carolina's not going to be easy. Uh, and then the second half of the year, is, your break is I guess George or is uh, is Missouri? Is that at Missouri? Is your your break in the second half because you got Georgia, Arkansas at LSU, and then Florida State. And Florida State's a team that that you you look around the world of college football. They're a dark horse team that uh, were people saying in the in the ACC this year. And so things could go really bad for Florida this year. And uh, it's it's you know. It depends. I, I think it really depends on where they go with the quarterback position. If uh, you you look at what they've got there, if if Graham Mertz does win the win the the job, does it does his offense look more like a you know a Florida offense we've seen in the past few years, more spread it out, or does it look more like what you had at Wisconsin, where you're just handing the ball off? I, I there's a lot of question marks here. I I, I just you know not not a lot to be overly excited about um but it it's it's a very it, this Florida team's very interesting this year. Well, I think it's interesting for a bad reason, you know. I mean, I think that you outlined some of it right there. This the prognosis for them is not very good. That they are glad they are in the East and they have some more winnable games uh like the Vanderbilt Missouri games, but this is one of the toughest schedules in the country because of what they have in the non-conference. And, yeah, they'll get their two wins against McNeese and Charlotte. But going to Utah week one, I think the difference is why they lose this year as opposed to winning last year. Yes, the home field, but also they had a guy that could make special plays in Anthony Richardson. And Graham Mertz nor Jack Miller strike me as that whoever wins that job, especially Graham Mertz. He's a known commodity at this point, And... To be honest with you, I'm surprised that that's the quarterback battle at Florida with Billy Napier's offense because I just think if someone and, – and maybe – it's not even Anthony Richardson. I, go back to his days as the Louisiana coach. Like, they run a lot of pistol, shotgun, all that good stuff. They move the quarterback. And Graham Mertz at Wisconsin is not going to be a big scrambler. And I'm not too familiar with the background of Jack Miller. Maybe he's got more scrambling than Graham Mertz, but it does not strike me as a – a big-time scrambling quarterback, big-time dual threat, maybe got a little bit of run ability, but I just don't think that they have a great fit in that quarterback room unless they are changing up what Napier's done in the past there. I also think, again, if you lose that Utah game, you got Florida State at the end of the year, that's going to be incredibly difficult. If they lose two games in the non-conference, all of a sudden you've got to go 4-4 four and four in the league to be able to go to a bowl game even. And I'm not sure that I even see that because I think that they will beat Vandy. And I think they're going to be better than Missouri, but not by much. So at Missouri might matter. Do they beat South Carolina on the road? Eh, maybe. I mean, they did clock them last year. They clocked South Carolina last year, right before South Carolina got it going. 
So maybe. Maybe they can go to Williams Prize. And then maybe they can go to Kentucky. Kentucky, again, it's the thing we keep bringing up with Wildcats. Their ceiling not incredibly high. So that is something where I can see how they could get those four. But they got to get them all. They got to beat Kentucky. They got to beat Vandy. Got to beat Missouri. And I guess I even um, include South Carolina in that, that they got to win all those games. Um, Because if they don't, maybe a home Arkansas, but they're not beating Georgia. They're not going to LSU and winning. Uh, And I don't really think they're going to beat Tennessee. I know they'll be the first. It'll be a road game uh, for Milton, and it'll be a, a test for Tennessee. But unless there's a developmental process in this that we're just missing, unless Napier truly is a great developer, there's nothing off of last year's team that suggests they're going to make an improvement this year. They don't have Anthony Richardson, that's for one. They don't have, I'm looking at this right now, they don't have their leading six tacklers from last year. So they lose six players off their defense. It was their top six tacklers. And then they got Ricky Pearsall, solid wide receiver, got some all-SEC votes, but not sure that he's just going to be a complete difference maker. And same thing with Montreal Johnson, quality running back, had a, a solid year last year, 10 touchdowns, 800 yards. So can he carry them on the ground? They just hand it off to him a lot? Okay, they'll hand it off more, that's for sure. But I just don't see the ceiling on this Florida team. And that should concern a lot of people. This is Florida. Florida has access to one of the best recruiting areas in the country. They have won multiple national championships in this century. Like Florida should not be, I should not be saying the words, can Florida go to South Carolina and win? It should always, can South Carolina upset Florida? That should be the framing of that game. And it's not this year. It shouldn't be, I think Florida will still be able to out-talent Kentucky. No, Florida beat Kentucky year after year after year after year. That shouldn't be the, the dialogue around them. So that's why people in Gainesville are frustrated because they're finally starting to recruit. It does take some time. I concede that. But year two, there does not seem to be clear indication of improvement going into the season or of heightened expectations or of growth. And, again, if they lose that Utah game, if they do not beat their rival Florida State, got to go 500 in the league to make the bowl game. I think their floor is about 4-8, and eight, and that's what Missouri's floor is. I say again, Florida's floor should not be like Missouri's floor, but it is this year. And then Florida's ceiling should not be as low as I'm about to say. I don't think Florida, under any circumstance, wins more than eight games. There's, I don't think there's a circumstance they win more than eight games. I think they will lose a non-conference game. I think they will lose to Georgia. I think they will lose to Tennessee, and they will lose to LSU. So that's the best eight and four for Florida. So, again, they are behind the developmental process. I'm not saying Napier needs to be fired. If you go four and eight, I think you got to think about it. Five and seven, I think you got to think about it. But they go six and six with what their expectations are. Okay, you can float with that. Just won't float for long. Not at Florida, but... Anything else you want to add, Brooks, before we move on, take our, our next break of the show again? It, it just 
This is one of the more – again, I haven't been breaking down Florida in all those must-champ years and that sort of thing, but this is one of the more grim Florida teams coming into play. At least they had Anthony Richardson that was really intriguing last year. Everybody was excited to see a full year of him as the quarterback, but I just – I don't know if they have any sort of ceiling that's any respectable at all for the University of Florida. Like I said uh, earlier, if they – in my opinion, if they want to uh, do – anything this year like a bowl game or something they got to do their damage like you were saying the first half of that year second half of the season after that bye week uh, in middle of october georgia arkansas lsu and florida state with missouri in there missouri is the team that you should beat and you you, you may be a little bit better than but everybody else there i, I don't think they're your favorite in any of those games and the first half of the year, you're probably not favored uh, for uh, tennis, at least Tennessee, maybe Kentucky, maybe South Carolina, maybe Utah. I think one thing about that Utah game to start the year that uh, that could be a problem is it's a Thursday night game, so you're already starting the year. I know you get you know f- you know four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is for fall camp uh, to prepare. But game week is different. You don't go into a normal game week. It's your 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 schedule's off. You're traveling on a Wednesday. Uh, you're you're flying a long way too out to out to uh, Salt Lake City, um, and that could be a problem. Just the travel aspect of it messes with your your week. Messes with everything uh, at that Utah game. And so it's this Florida team, like you said, it's you know I, I think. To, to quell the 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 mob around the Florida program to keep for Billy Napier, I think he needs to win seven games. But I don't know if there's seven wins on this schedule for him. That that's the real big problem. Uh, there's there's so much. This is one of the uh, a very this is a, a schedule that, like I said, it's it's not an easy schedule this year. And I don't, I don't know where you you get it. I I really hate it because Billy Napier, you watched him at Louisiana, built a good program there, and I think he's got momentum on the recruiting trail. But this, you know, it, depending on how this year goes, you may not get it. He may not get a chance to to see those recruits come to fruition. That's a look at Florida football. Not a very positive look for 2023. We'll see if the Gators can surprise some people in the SEC East. They'll have opportunities. They'll have big games. Two of the first three, really big, at Utah and again, host Tennessee week three. So we'll find out pretty quickly if Florida's going to have more teeth on that Gator this year. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we're going to get to our sports call of what to watch for over the weekend. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9.
Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday. Starting to wind down the show for the day and for the week. If you missed anything today or throughout the week, the Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. All right, we're winding down the show for the week, so let's get you set for the weekend. It's time for a sports call, what to watch for over the weekend. Sports calls, what to watch for over the weekend. What to watch for over the weekend. We talked a little bit about the Braves earlier. Big series in Wrigley Field. The one opportunity to go there each and every year. Braves had great success against the Cubs today, winning eight nothing. Dansby Swanson struck out a few times, and Max Fried looked awesome. But uh, Braves and the the Red Hot Cubs for three. But again, of course, rarely you play a Friday afternoon game, but when you play the Cubs, sometimes you do. And so the Braves already have a win under their belt for the weekend series. Yeah, I think the Cubs only do like 30-something games a year at night, uh, home night games and, and regularly. They play a lot of afternoon games. But, yeah, big series. The Braves have Bryce Elder going tomorrow, uh, and then I believe it's Charlie Morton Day on Sunday. Yeah, Charlie Morton p- pitching on Sunday. So it, it's a chance for the Braves to go up and – do what they did today. You talked about it earlier when we talked about the Braves more uh, in depth. You've got a chance to go up to Wrigley to a, a Cubs team that's very hot right now, and you can go up there and assert your dominance and say, hey, you're cool. Y'all beat the beat the Reds, and good for y'all, but we're the big boys in the league this year. You're not going to beat – you're not going to win the series against us, and you got a chance, especially now winning the first game. All you got to do is win one more, win the series – on the road at Wrigley, first time you've seen the Cubs this year, um, and and go ahead and kind of not not fully lay down the law, but kind of say, hey, you know, we messed around here to start the All Star break. We're good. We we just not we just beat the Angels, who were we're starting to get a little hot there, and now we're going to come up here and we're going to beat the Cubs. So Braves getting set for the the rest of that series. First team to seventy wins when they won earlier today. They continue to have <clears throat> a big lead. In the National League Eastern Division, their lead now sits over the Phillies by 12, over the Marlins by 13.5. Best record in the National League by 8. The Dodgers are 62-45, and 45, Braves 70-37. and 37. And then the second-best team in baseball is actually by record, the Cartoon Birds, the Baltimore Orioles, 67-42. and 42. So Braves still four clear of the Orioles. Again, uh, World Series no, are no longer determined by what happens in the All-Star game, so best record does matter if you want to host it on. The Braves still with the best record in baseball as uh, we turn the calendar into August. Sports calls, what to watch for over the weekend. All right, another one to watch for over the weekend. How about in the world of NASCAR? As the NASCAR Cup Series goes to Michigan, the only Michigan date on the schedule now, uh, just four more races before the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs as you got Michigan, the Indianapolis Road Course, Watkins Glen, and the Daytona uh, the, the Daytona Summer Race there. Four very different races, although I guess two of them are road courses, but uh, def- different disciplines here in the next few weeks for these playoff contenders. The cut line is close. There's a lot of drivers vying for that 16th spot. Lord forbid any of them win and lock yourselves in the bubble moves but Bubba Wallace has been running pretty well getting up to 15th in points and then it's a big clump there for 16th you got 
guys like A.J. Allmendinger and uh, Daniel Suarez, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman. I think I'm forgetting who actually is 16th at the moment. I think it's Michael McDowell, I want to say. Uh, but Michigan here for the Cup Series guys and uh, for NASCAR this weekend. Again, we go to less of these big ovals now uh, that are non-restrictor plate or, or non-drafting tracks, but be interesting to watch with, with so many guys still vying for that final playoff spot. Yeah, you, you know, I was looking at the uh, the top 16 here. You got one, two, three, four guys in that top 16 that don't have a win yet. Uh, Kevin Harvick up there is he's, he's in sixth place right now. You've got Brad Keselowski. You've got, like you said, Bubba Wallace and Michael McDowell don't have a win. Chris Buescher sitting there in 13th, got a win this past weekend at Richmond. Uh, and then, yeah, then the, one of the guys that I just mentioned, the guy sitting in sixth spot right now, Kevin Harvick, the defending champion here, at Michigan, he won last year. Uh, he actually won back-to-back races last year. He won at Richmond and won at um, Michigan, and then did not win. Has not won since. And so, going out of retirement would be great if he uh, went up and had a repeat performance this year up at Michigan and got a win. But it's a lot of few, you know, few people vying for that last spot. You got some guys on the out, just on the outside looking in, and you got uh, guys that have been running pretty dominant all year, like a William Byron, like a Michael or a Martin Trex Jr. Uh, Kyle Busch is uh, is up there. Kyle Larson's been pretty good this year, and it's uh, we creep closer and closer to those playoffs, and the stakes just keep getting higher and higher. Doesn't seem like there's a clear favorite this year, which that's been happening in the sport the last few years. We've not had a dominant driver. Uh, there was Chase Elliott winning the championship a few years ago. Kyle Larson had a big year a couple of years ago once he moved to Hendrick Motorsports, but that momentum has kind of evened out. He's been towards the top. He's won a couple races, but he is not dominant by any means. And then Denny Hamlin continues to be as good as anybody, but he's still without that elusive Cup Series championship. So some of those guys kind of rotating each year. Of course, Joey Logano, who's who ended up winning it last year. So... Really not an absolute bonafide star at the top. A lot of really good drivers. We're seeing the end of the career of Kyle Busch, and that's what's making it so volatile at the top because it's just been really clear. And obviously someone like Chase Elliott, who missed so many races this year, trying to even get into the playoffs has been a conundrum. He sits 40 points below the cut line with four races to go. Still doable on points, but still someone of the caliber of Chase Elliott expects to win at some point, and now that we're – 22 races in the season. I think he still made 15 or 16 starts. So still, if, if you're going through about half a year, you expect Chase Elliott to win at some point. So uh, the NASCAR Cup Series has been very, uh, very much filled with parity, and I think it will continue to do so. But excited to watch the race at Michigan. One more what to watch for over the weekend. Sports calls what to watch for over the weekend. And this one is Auburn-related, as tomorrow is the commitment date for five-star safety K.J. Bolden. Of course, that's the other, or I shouldn't say the other. There was a lot of big cats, a big cat weekend, but the other of the top guys that Auburn is waiting for a decision on. Of course, they were able to get Perry Thompson over the weekend to flip from Alabama and uh, Demarcus Riddick the a couple days before that. And now they await the decision of KJ Bolton, who's actually the highest rated of all of them, a top 10 prospect in the industry rankings. Auburn, Georgia, Florida State, the main the main entries for his services. Of course, we talked to Cole Pinkston a little bit earlier this week of On3. does a great job with all the recruiting stuff, and he mentioned to us that he's not so sure this thing is over, uh, depending on really anyone, uh, no matter who he commits to 
but he was talking about the trends with this and how many guys are committed at this point in the process. And he says it's largely due to the fact these kids want to make a decision before they play their senior year of high school ball. And uh, you can't blame them for trying to focus on their last year in high school. Uh, but made a lot of sense. And so that is why K.J. Bolden, out of Buford, Georgia, will be making a decision tomorrow. I think there's some other helmets on the board like Ohio State and Alabama. But, again, I think the real race is between Georgia, Florida State, and Auburn. Of course, Auburn got one of the last words in on them as – uh, the, the recruiting dead period started August the 1st, and Big Cat Weekend was just prior to that on the 29th, 30th. So we will see if Auburn can land the services of K.J. Bolden. Again, the class ranks 15th in the on-three rankings, largely due to the just the sheer numbers. But again, if you average out uh, everybody and all the recruits, they have the fourth best average of all the teams out there trailing only. Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. So that one will be big for Auburn recruiting tomorrow. And again, I'm telling you, I just really don't know the lean there. I think it is. I think Florida State and Auburn probably lead Georgia. Again, that's based off of Cole Pinkston's reporting too, but Georgia by no means out of it either. And of course, he is from the state of Georgia, if that means anything. So uh, that will be something to watch out for for Auburn fans this weekend. We're going to take one final time out in the show, back to wrap things up with the nightly TV guide right after this. You've been listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. For another way to listen to our show, be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Final few minutes of sports gone today. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress taking you home on this Friday evening. Uh, Dodge some wet weather. Had uh, Our friends in Montgomery had a, a big storm roll through there a little bit ago. We had some storms yesterday, and the uh, Pac-12s had storms that have been uh, never ceasing <laughs> at this point. As uh, During the course of this show, Washington and Oregon got confirmed. Uh, the approval has been given for Arizona State and Utah. That will be voted on for the final time later tonight. By the time we're on air again, there will surely only be four left in the Pac-12. And I don't know. I mean, it, it it's tough. It, the analogy I thought of is that for those four remaining, it's like you're the last kids picked on the playground. You know, because <laughs> seriously, I mean, if you're Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford, you don't want to be – in that conference anymore, really. Uh, you you would love to be shown the money 
that your former cohorts have been shown in the Big 12 or Big 10 at this point. Because, heck, you, you talk about travel. At this point, half your friends are with you in one of those other conferences. Like, especially if you're down, uh, I should say, especially if you are, you know, the last hope. I'll tell you this. Let, let me say this one, one thing. The geography of the Big 12 isn't bad. Yeah. Th- that part of it's not that bad. Um, it's not awesome. and But really, the aus- not awesome part is still West Virginia. And then UCF over there in Florida. Because the rest of it, adding these Pac-12 schools like they did, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, Colorado used to be in that league. They're only a state or two away from Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, etc. There's still some borders there. Like, it's not... I know those states out west are bigger than states up in the northeast and that sort of thing, but that's really not that bad of travel. I was saying the biggest thing is going to be like one of those Arizona schools or Utah to West Virginia. Yeah, no, all the all of it's the West Virginia and UCF. Uh, to some degree, Cincinnati, Ohio, that's getting up there a little bit too. But the it's ma- not like a California right. to Rutgers. The, but these Pac-12 editions make sense geographically. It's the Big Ten's editions out of the Pac-12 that are a little more far-fetched because Wisconsin would be, I guess, about as close as it got to these other teams that Oregon Washington are going to play. It's not going to be an awful trip, but then you start to go over to Ohio, Pennsylvania, <laughs> Piscataway. Those are long trips, very long trips. Last minute or two of the show, time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. Brooks, what we got? Well, we've got uh, a couple fun uh, sports picks for you. We'll get to those in just a little bit. But first, movie picks for you this evening, 6 o'clock on AMC. It is Channing Tatum. It is Jamie Foxx. It is White House Down, 6.30 AMC. Uh, what happens when the White House gets taken over from the inside? Find out. Channing Tatum will come to save you. Oh, is George Klavikoff in charge? Mm, not anyway. quite, but it, it yeah. could have been. Uh, then 7 o'clock on TBS. This is more the, the, the speed of the Pac-12. It's Pacific Rim. Watch what happens when the big monsters, i.e. the Big Ten and the Big 12, come to feast on your city, i.e. Oregon, Washington, and the Arizonas. Uh, and that's at 7 o'clock on TBS. Elsewhere around the sports world, we got some, like I said, got some fun stuff on you because started last night, continuing today, ESPN The Ocho is on. 6 o'clock on ESPN2, we got American Cornhole, Cornhole League. Uh, day one of the ACL World Championships. Follow that up tonight at uh, 9 o'clock with the Pillow Fight Championship. How about that? I want to watch some Pillow, pillow fight. fight? The Pillow Fight Championship, yeah. Oh. Uh, also tonight, Liga's Cup Soccer continues. 7 o'clock on FS1, Chicago Fire FC take on Club America. Follow that up at 9 o'clock with the Portland Timber- Timbers taking on Monterey. And then, of course, you got some WNBA basketball tonight at 7 o'clock on ION, the New York Liberty, take on the Minnesota Lynx, and get your night finished off the right way with some Professional Fighters League playoffs, featherweights and the light heavyweights, 8 o'clock on ESPN. And that is your look at your night TV guide brought to your reference at White Call Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Thank you for that TV guide, and uh, thank you for being on the show throughout the week. I hope you have a great weekend. And maybe I'll see you this weekend. Wink, wink, hint, hint. And uh, I'll talk to you. We'll see you next week on the show. I will see you next week. I'm going to watch some pillow fighting. All right. I probably will not be watching that. I'm just going to go ahead and be forthcoming with you. Uh, that will do it for the show for today and for the week. As always, we appreciate all, all of our great guests throughout the week and all those that tune in and called in. For Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. 
Have a great Friday night. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you again on Monday.